Pandemonium reigns. Pandemonium reigns podcast. What is up? Happy Friday. Happy evening. Happy whatever time it is that you're tuning into this podcast or checking in with us on YouTube. We appreciate that greatly. Go ahead and like this video on YouTube. Share the podcast with the very next person that you encounter. And go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. That just does wonders uh, for the channel. And you boys appreciate that very much. Again, glad you're here. Going to just continue ch touching base on what's going on this offseason. Still very young. Clearly, we're in the middle of February. And the head coaching carousel is still going about one mile per hour. It's not silly season. It's not, you know, saving retirement. Like, that's old news now. Um, you know, DeBoer's already lost a coordinator. Like, <laughs> things are happening in, in the sport. The offseason's been electrifying, but it is still very young. Um, the assistant coaching carousel, like I mentioned, has hit Kalen DeBoer already with, with Ryan Grubb heading to the NFL, which is a very popular move right now. Um, in, in Knoxville, it's hitting us, you know, because Jerry Mack, running, back co running backs coach, Talking today has it's maybe never been harder in my life. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to blame it on uh, it being a Thursday problem. But running backs coach Jerry Mack heads to Jacksonville. Uh, he will transition from coaching Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson the past uh, couple of years to coaching the elder at the end, uh, being a part of the franchise that, that has Trevor Lawrence at the helm. Uh, and they're still trying to obviously rise up and do some things in their division. Uh, they're also the the balls are also seeing Brian John Marie go back to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he spent I believe just the 2020 season, if I'm not mistaken. He's obviously had a stint in Ann Arbor, and he goes now back to uh, the Wolverines, coming off of their natty as they are. Um, so again. Tennessee with two vacancies in in this young offseason. Again, a bit in the later stages than you would probably see some of these moves. I mean, you know, nothing's really normal because we did see Saban retire like I talked about. We saw the, the national championship winning coach, uh, Jim Harbaugh, go to the NFL, which, again, the trendy move to the, uh, to the Chargers, of course. So it's been a weird offseason. Some of these moves – have caused later decisions probably than we've than we've seen before, I think. Um, but again, I think the NFL and really good coordinator positions, really good position coaching spots are going to be at a premium. Now, again, one of Tennessee's losses in Jerry Mack is to the league, which I, again, can't talk about enough how popular that is right now. Um, and the other going back to a place where he spent some time and they're coming off of a natty in Michigan with Brian John-Marie. More than anything, you know, those guys have done some pretty good work, especially, I think, as, well, Jerry Mack, whatever his role in, if he's been the one to bring in, help bring in Dylan Sampson, help bring in Cam Selden, Khalifa Keith, some of these guys, and really, if he's helped Jalen Wright take the steps that he took. I mean, when they talk about, and I think it was Heupel, but when they talk about Jalen Wright being someone who just runs the football and in, in, in his transformation into a full-time expert running back, just his vision, the way that whatever, if they were able to add with, you know, how to take contact because he did that really well. Uh, he was really, uh, really steady with the ball. I think he lost, I remember about one fumble this year, and it was a little bit of a freak situation at Missouri. 
I'm probably forgetting another because I'm over 30. But again, they did some really good work at the position with the running backs. The big test here is going to be, obviously, Dylan and, and, you know, other guys did better than Dylan Sampson at this, but it's going to be getting Dylan Sampson to be able to pick up pass pro better than we, we've seen him do. I think that's obviously, all things considered, that's that's got to be what's keeping him off the field, giving him zero touches in the swamp when Tennessee's really stuck in the mud and just doing nothing uh, as they did for much of that game in the swamp this year. I think those are the things uh, that kept Sampson off the field. Now, it's weird when you see kind of the work that he got in Lexington, but obviously that was a game where I think Jalen was banged up. So, uh, you know, it all balances out in the end. Getting Sampson prepared to pass block for Nico to to be the, the blocker that Jalen Wright has been, that Jabari Small has certainly been. I think he's been the best uh, pass, blo pass blocking running back over the careers of, of these guys, over the era of the staff, Jerry Mack and his time in Tennessee. Getting Dylan Sampson to take that next step and more so continuing to boost the profile of our on-the-field coaches. I mean, as recruiters, we've, we've got to get more, I think, just to take an additional next step if we want to even venture towards catching some of the best rosters in the sport. Obviously, Georgia now stands pretty head and shoulders over most. Uh, Ohio State's obviously pushed a lot of their chips right square into the middle of the table. If they're not all in this year, I think it would, for 2024, I think it would be scary to know what all in is. Uh, but again, if you're going to take steps to catch teams like those rosters, uh, you've got to continue to bring some ace recruiters who, again, can get guys like Dylan Sampson to take steps that they need to take uh, as pass blockers and and to fill out the holes in their game, you know, while continuing to to just to get through the day-to-day, the week-to-week -day, -week duties of the position, obviously. Uh, to the defensive side, Brian Jean-Marie, like I mentioned, he spent some time in Ann Arbor before, so it's not like it's going to be a new role. He's not leave. I don't think either guy – I think both guys actually have been super, super complimentary of Hopple, his style, the culture. Um, it, and it's a good sign, clearly. I mean, it with the results that we've got on the field versus what we expected, with the low turnover, I mean, year after 2021, I think it was Cody Burns to the Saints. Uh, year two, it was obviously Golish to South Florida, which I think is only going to be, for guys like I'm saying, a, a lesser and lesser, you know, less popular move as time goes forward to get to get jobs like South Florida. That one obviously has the big redeeming factor of, of being in the state of Florida surrounded by talent while the the flagship programs, the Florida Gators, the Miami uh, Hurricanes are obviously not crushing it. Florida State just recently starting to surge again, you know. Those might be a little more ideal than your Georgia States, like looking at Sean Elliott and UCLA. No, it's it's not more ideal than that. So I mean Less popular moves, but it, it's not been a ton of turnover. And I think that's a great sign. I think the culture is clearly really healthy. I mean, just it has to play a big part, I think, with morale, with player motivation. You know, we don't really see guys quit the way that we've seen guys quit over the the last three eras alone prior to this one. I mean, come on. So I think those are all good things. But, with again, with both openings now, you've got to – raise the recruiting profile, you've got to find some studs who know how to land and relate to the the youths, as I like to call them, uh, to really to really build the relationships, no jokes. Um, you know, obviously, to do if you're playing COD with them, if you're playing Fortnite with them, you know, get in there, 
grind the phones, obviously build the relationships, know how to, how to, how do you convince mama and, uh, you know, papa and uncle to, to trust you with their son to, to, you know, guide him over the next three to five years of his life, uh, or seven or eight years. If we ever have another COVID situation, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be the, uh, the prime leader of their lives in, in some regards over the next, at least almost half decade in, in some cases, uh, Marie, Brian John Marie has done some, again, if he's recruiting his position, has done some stellar work. Arion Carter, T. Lander, uh, I mean, just some of those, the recent ones alone has been great steps into, because also want to point out, you know, Jerry Mack didn't have a loaded room when, when, when he took the position under Hopple coaching running backs. Uh, it wasn't loaded, but it was plenty solid, and they've only added to that sense. The linebacker room had two guys, basically. It was it was almost as barren as it could be with, with Jeremy Banks and Aaron Beasley being the primary guys after the Pruitt staff left, after the transfers left, you name it. There were about two guys that you could rely on. Now, they, they we, we brought in the young man from Texas who has bounced all over the place, maybe played at Arizona State this year, maybe didn't. Uh, sounds like he couldn't really keep his nose perfectly clean uh, and I'm obviously, if you haven't figured it out yet, unable to remember his name at the moment. Again, I'm 30. Don't judge me. Uh, they brought in transfers, Keenan Pilly. They've they've added really solid young pieces. Again, whether that's Ryan John Marie, whether it's a combo job, the linebacker recruiting has been pretty good. And and same, I'm not saying running back recruiting hasn't. Uh, good athletes coming in at both positions, but you've got to continue to take steps. We've got to get better. I think at all three levels, I'm, at least the the back seven or eight has got to get better against the the pass at the sticks. Like envision Florida twenty twenty two, the pass at the sticks. Whether that's the secondary alone, it's not. Uh, what whatever the linebackers' roles are in that, and and we do. Tim Banks does like his blitzes now. Um, it's it's got to continue to trend the right direction if we ever want to catch some of our rivals. Some of the programs at the top, if we want to, if we want to make twelve team playoffs and contend, or if we just want to make them, we've got to take steps, bring in some ace recruiters, continue to do what we've been doing at minimum, and figure out how to how to go from there. I think and improve upon what we're doing. But again, both openings, linebackers coach and running backs coach, probably won't be very won't be open for very long. With just some of the buzz online, with some of the names that have at least been thrown out. For running backs coach, um, you know, another thing about running backs coaches is you don't necessarily know their names like you do coordinators or high-profile receivers or strength and conditioning coaches, some of those guys. You don't typically know their names. Obviously, going to be very, very vital, again, if for recruiting alone. And it's not just going to be that. It's going to be day-to-day, you know, building scouting reports, managing the personnel in the games, whatever roles that, that Hopple you know, divvies out. It's going to be very important and and critical that these hires are are pretty well hit on. Tennessee versus the NCAA. Uh, it drudges on. It it continues to be ongoing. It's been two weeks, I believe, at the time of this this recording hitting the interwebs since I last recorded and kind of went on one of my prototypical rants about the NCAA, the cartel, the joke that they are the bullies that they are, you name it, uh, you know, you name it. There's no need to rehash all that. I would actually, I would kind of be entertained to do so, but I'm just not going to do it because I've done it before. 
You don't need to hear it again. And you can find what I'm saying from about 40,000 people, you name it. All of them, almost all of them, except for the the spies, the leaks of the NCAA that I named. You can, if, if they are a commonsensical writer or fan of college football, they almost all exclusively have the same take, that the NCAA is just a joke. We're not going to go back through that any longer than I already have today. But since the time of the last podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw Tennessee be denied in the temporary restraining order case with the caveat that the judge said that he expects the schools to beat the NCAA in the long run, whatever that is. Fast forward to Tuesday of this week, uh, the 13th, and uh, there was no decision handed down from the courts of, of Greenville, Tennessee. Uh, but again, we were told that it would be coming in short order. There's just not many people out there that, that think this is going to go well for the NCAA. I, I really can't name anyone that I've heard say that. That makes you feel good. I mean, if you're the NCAA, I just don't understand the thought process of, like, att again, attempting to kneecap a the, a school with a rabid fan base that spends lots of money that supports and, and just when you're not going to do it evenly. I don't get it. It's a power grab. It's the same old stuff. Here I go ranting. Here I go ranting. It is what it is. It's what I do. But again, I don't, I don't get it. No thoughts out there that I can find that the NCAA is going to be granted more authority than they've already had more bully ability, more power, uh, than they've already had. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen, which I think is great and I think is needed. I think it's long overdue. I think that so many of us could come up with rules that are legal, fair, that don't restrict a guy's ability to make money on his name, image, or likeness, or a female's for that matter. Plenty of uh, of, of ladies athletes have NIL and have very big brands. Caitlin Clark, Libby Dunn, uh, Angel Reese, I believe is her name from LSU. Uh, this, you know, think about the South Carolina Gamecocks uh, ladies basketball team. You're gonna tell me those girls can't collect some NIL? They are probably the most popular until the emergence of their of their men's team, and maybe still so because of how dominant they are. They are probably the most popular people on that campus in in the actual weeds of it, not the the distant fans that you know. Again, where football is the attempted breadwinner of the school. I'm talking about the the community. I mean, think about how popular they must be. If I were a business that wanted to gain some recognition in the area, I'm making an NIL deal with the success stories on campuses like South Carolina, like LSU, with, with two female examples down there. That's what I'm doing if I want to gain recognition from my business that way. So another long-winded way of saying, good luck, NCAA. I don't see it for you in this. No one that I, I can't even find anyone that really does. That's not, again, Pat Forty or previously Dan Walken. I don't even know where he stands on this. I don't care uh, because the NCAA is archaic, going out of style. I mean, so many ways I could say it, and I have actually said it uh, on this podcast and and not going to stall and, and say it any more than I already have because I just don't see the point in it. I don't see the point in it. Uh, one other bit of, of news hot off of the presses this week, the orange and white game scheduled for the middle of April. Fans uh, attendance, rather, 
will be limited to around 10,000-ish. Um, I think they said 10,000. We know it's going to be around that ballpark because there's going to be a lot of people like Dan and I last year when we made the trek up I-75. We baked in the sun, uh, excited to see Nico Iamaliava for the first time in Tennessee Colors in Neyland Stadium. We were so excited to see some of those things. The problem was that about two receivers, I think, played starting receivers, scholarship receivers, played, suited up, did anything that day. We wanted to see Dante Thornton. We wanted to see Brew and Ramel. Uh, we wanted to see all those things in Squirrel. You know, we wanted to see all of it. And there just wasn't much action. So this is good from my perspective because, I, you know, I don't really see the need to go to another spring game unless Tennessee just really gets to a point where the roster is like three deep, six stars. You know what I mean? Like unless we really take that step, which we're miles and miles away from, not that I'm not going to support the boys, but because I don't need to see the most vanilla plays that I've ever seen, you know, being a survivor of the, of the Butch Jones era, being a survivor of, this is going to sound mean, the Joe Milton led offense, being a survivor of all those things, I don't need to see, you know, no receivers play, no plays be called. Uh, in some cases, guys still make plays. Despite of that, looking at the Nico to Ethan Davis connection there, uh, I just don't need to see those things. In in the April sun, you know what I mean, baking down and, and just burning us up, I just don't need to see those things. So it's good from that perspective. It's bad from the perspective of this used to be a free event where 100,000 people could come. That never happened, obviously, because it was a spring game all along that – was a glorified scrimmage. Uh, it really that that is less productive than an actual full blown practice. You know, it is less productive because there was hiding of plays. There was limited personnel. They're probably mixing up personnel groups and throwing first teamers and second teamers on the same unit, doing those things like that, uh, just to be deceptive. Just because they're afraid of the Soviet spies taking their information back to Athens and and to Tuscaloosa and to Gainesville and things like that. Um, so again, there's some good, there's some bad. There's definitely some bad in the sense of young fans or people that don't want to or can't afford to go to Tennessee versus even, you know, UTSA or, or UTEP or certainly an SEC game against a, a, pr a predominant opponent. Uh, limits an opportunity that, that someone like that would have to go for free to sit there, to take in the environment, be with the fan base, only the fan base, no away fans on those days. You know what I mean? No rascally uh, rednecks from, from Tuscaloosa or Athens or anything like that yet again. Just, throw, just throwing shots and taking, you know, throwing darts over here today, whatever it is. Uh, but again, it limits those opportunities. It's no longer free. Um, I think it'll be $10 for a standard seat and $15 for a, a premium seat, air quotes there, if you're listening to the podcast. Um, so obviously, just like everything else, some good, some bad. Does it impact Dan and I because we made that trip last year and uh, just won't be doing it this year. Just just don't need to see it this soon. I need again a lot more talent to be on the field for me to for me to consider sitting out in that uh, spring sun once again like I did last year. All right, got a couple more things, brief things that I just want to touch base on because they are great topics for February discussion. Uh, and and frankly, they're they're really exciting uh, in one case at least to just kind of think about and and look over. Before I do that, I want to tell you about our good friends, our sponsor, 
North Forsyth Training and Fitness in FTF, located 4015's Brown Bridge Road. Uh, and if you're in the coming area looking to change your life, needing a new gym, whatever it is, NFTF is the place for you. Owner and head coach Jesse Foster, he's got all the credentials uh, and experience to help you reach your goals. What you're going to do with a group of people uh, that you'll call your community, that you will call your friends via morning classes that run 5.30, 7.30, and 9, and afternoons, 3.30, 4.30, 5.30, and 6.30. There's surely a class in that time frame to fit your schedule at FTF. Uh, and if this sounds like something that you want to jump on, hit up Jesse Foster today, 706-633-6609. Make sure to tell him the boys at Pandemonium Rains podcast sent you. All right, like I said, a couple more things that I briefly want to touch on uh, before wrapping this episode up and landing the plane. And my God, one will lead perfectly right into the other. Wasn't planned, was an accident. In fact, I took the screenshot of the first one uh, back in the middle of January, and the other one is is a couple weeks after that. And again, they just they lead right into each other. Fox College Football on Twitter or X, if you're a weirdo who calls Twitter X, uh, put this out January 24th, active FBS coaches with the highest winning percentage without a national title, minimum of 75 games coached. Okay, so it excludes Kalen DeBoer because he'd be, my God, right up there at the very top of this list or smack dab in the middle of it. Okay, highest, highest winning percentage without a national title, minimum 75 games coached. Lincoln Riley, 80.4% winning percentage. Josh Kenneth Hopple. 73.3 winning percent. Brian Kelly, 72.9 winning percentage. Okay, I I have a theory that I'm just workshopping here. Brian Kelly is actually an older Kalen DeBoer because, my God, the man has been coaching in some form or fashion as a head coach since 1991, 33 years. I believe this will be his 33rd year this year if math works after age 30 because the memory certainly doesn't. But 33 years, some form or fashion as a head coach, his overall record is, per Wikipedia, 283, 103, and 2. Now, keep in mind, there's some vacated wins in there from Notre Dame, I believe. Uh, I think that's where the, the wins are vacated from in his record. Uh, what a fascinating dude to, to be 62 years old, coach for now for over half of his life as a head coach. No national title. Now, we know that... He didn't really get to a school where he could do anything like that until around the 2010s when he when he arrived, uh, you know, in South Bend. Still a tough place to win a title, obviously, and he and he had them contending for a couple. You know, all the restrictions of all the weirdness of Notre Dame makes it a little tougher than perhaps an LSU to win a title. And obviously, he'll be entering year three. Massive defensive staff overhaul had to happen. Losing a Heisman candidate. And, you know, losing like three games with your Heisman candidate is, is scary stuff. But again, what a fascinating deal it is for him to be 72.9 win percentage over such an incredibly long amount of time. Not uh, an FBS head coach since 1991, but I think it's Grand Valley State where he started as, as head coach in 1991. Now, Lincoln Riley, we know the flaws in his game. I would even say bear with me, we know the flaws in Hopple's game to an extent. So far, you know, what more can the defense do? And it's not like it's Lincoln-Raleigh-USC bad, or in some, it's in some cases even Lincoln-Raleigh-Oklahoma bad, but we know that there's flaws to the game, 
and I would say that Lincoln Riley has more flaws but hasn't faced SEC competition to this point, right? Lincoln Riley is 74-18 and 18 as a head coach, 19-8 and eight, um, at USC, I believe. Um, Hopple, 74-18 overall for Riley. Hopple, 55-20, and 20, so 75 games currently coached as head coach, putting him eligible for this list, for this graphic. 27-12 and 12 at Tennessee. Uh, Riley, 2-4 and four in bowls, postseason, playoff appearances. Hopple, 3-3 three and three, um, in bowls. What I think back to to the things, you know, the conversation about Hopple being the, the most successful uh, coach since majors to at least arrive um, in Knoxville. And, and again, seeing, seeing graphics like this, thinking about conversations like this, uh, really makes it tough for me to be talked out of that. Now, the flip side that this plays so perfectly into is, and, and I just want to, this is like, a, I'm going to end the episode with just a teaser on this. Probably not going to go full rant, but you know me that I'm going to preach a little or attempt to preach at least a little bit when when talking about this. But, you know, the saw this list, Connor O'Gara, uh, the beginning of this month, 2024 SEC coach rankings. Just going to run through it briefly, and you'll know what issues I have with it pretty quickly. Kirby Smart, one. Brian Kelly, two. Kalen DeBoer, three. Lane Kiffin, four. Steve Sarkeesian, five. Mark Stoops, number six. Josh Hoppel, number seven. Hugh Freeze, number eight. Eli Drinkwitz, nine. Elko, 10. Brent Venables, 11. Shane Beamer, 12. Sam Pittman, 13. Billy Florida Gator Napier, 14. Clark Lee, 15. And Jeff Levy, 16. He might as well not have been listed because... I, I just don't get it. Uh, this list, to me, is so crazy. Um, with things such as Mark Stoops is ahead of Hopple based on what? If we're talking about things like this, if we're talking about Ole Miss has never had 10-win seasons, certainly not back-to-back, an 11-win season, things that happened before Kiffin got there. Kentucky was bad for, what, 100 years <laughs> before before Mark Stoops got there and started doing some things. If we're talking about those things, I can partially reason with certainly Kiffin, but Mark Stoops being ahead of Josh Hopple, uh, who sits again just above midway point of the conference here. If we're talking, you know, you know, <laughs> Dan and I went on on a recent sermon towards the end of last year. We do it every time we're on playoff time. Head to head freaking matters. Hopple's three and zero against Kentucky. Um, Will Levis, one of the most hopped quarterbacks in Kentucky history. Uh, maybe college football history. Um, it didn't work out for Stoops with Levis against Tennessee. Stoops has managed two wins. Let me think about that. He's managed two wins, I believe, against Tennessee in his time there. Um, I just don't get it, guys. If we're talking about the things that he's done in restoring the program, that's that's about it for me because they're running into a ceiling, and to me, you have to continue to raise the roof if you want to take it back 20 years in, via lingo. Uh, Kiffin, I'm okay with Kiffin being top four. I don't know that I'm okay with them being ahead of Sarkeesian. The reason being, we both we saw both of them have their 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 various failures in the the Pac-12, uh, USC. Sarkeesian's now 
he's now a playoff coach. I mean, he's now doing things at Texas that we've seen guys, prominent head coaching figures, fail to do, right? Um, Kalen DeBoer is brand new to this conference. I mean, the graphic that I just talked about, he's not even coached 75 FBS games, and he did great work at Washington. I'll never knock it. I'll never knock this higher because if anyone could be the guy after the guy, it would be Alabama to pull that off, and it might be him to do it. But he's number three, brand new to the conference, off of like two seasons, and that's that's my only gripe. Uh, Brian Kelly, I'm I'm fairly okay with him being up there. I mean, I think we're splitting a lot of hairs here. I would love to know, and I should just look back and see kind of what the criteria was for this. I guess my issue when I think about doing things at Auburn and Kentucky that haven't been done in a while, Hugh Freeze kind of got the ball rolling on that, what, eight, nine years ago at Ole Miss. And I understand there's a lot of personal failures, at least alleged in his life, if not outright confirmed or admitted to. But to be, you know, again, at the midway point, at number eight in this conference, I just, I don't get it. I feel like a lot of the back half is pretty fair. Um, pretty fair, especially since a lot of those guys um, are fairly new to the gig still. Can't knock Kirby Smart being a number one with what he's done. Back-to-back -back titles prior to uh, losing in Atlanta this year, that being their first loss of the year. It's hard to knock that. Um, and I guess, again, just wanted to kind of touch base on this because I'll probably have to formulate some guidelines of my own to do a list of this sort just because I have issues with mainly, again, things like Mark Stoops and Steve Sarkeesian being separated by one spot and, you know, Sark behind Kithen and Stoops ahead of Hopple. I'm sorry, man. Hopple stepped into a terrible spot that we've talked about so many times and he's done nothing but go 3-0 against Kentucky, which is nothing new while Stoops is doing some new things at Kentucky. But I just don't get it, and I'll probably have to probably have to devise a list of my own. Maybe try to make that a, a briefer episode or just hit y'all with that on social media. Um, but yeah, it, it got me thinking, of course, like I do, I had to preach on it a little bit. I tried to keep it short and sweet in, in the sermon. Um, and I'm not going to pass the plate like I would at a church service. I'm just going to, again, ask that you go ahead and share the podcast, subscribe on YouTube, and uh, keep tuning in as we just, we trek through this off season like we're doing. Appreciate you so very much for, for tuning in. God bless and GBM.